0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. <laughs> we are uh, in week six of Ordo Salutis. If you got your uh, handout, that's the Order of Salvation. Um, we've looked at quite a few different words. We've broken this series up into three different pieces. The, the commencing piece, that's the before the moment of salvation, where we looked at foreknowledge, predestination, election, sin, atonement, propitiation, evangelism, conviction, and calling. Uh, and then today... Uh, we're right in the middle of the converting section. That's the month of November. We're looking at repentance and faith. Today is conversion and regeneration, uh, and then next week justification, redemption. The week after that, adoption, reconciliation, and in December we're looking at all the things that happen after the moment of salvation: sanctification, mortification, evidence, perseverance, uh, eternal security, and glorification. So, if you remember the the visual that I've been using through this series is uh, what's under the umbrella. Right. So, what's what's components of salvation that we're aware of versus components that we may not be aware of? So, last week we talked about literally the umbrella, the basics, the mm-hmm. justification. I'm sorry, the repentance and faith. There we go. I just got messed up already. Uh, we're looking at uh, repentance and faith last week, and that's the that those are the pieces that that you got to get those. There's no scenario in which you get around those. And today we're looking at two more words, uh, conversion and regeneration. And, and on, that, uh, on that concept of repentance, uh, in the last 20 to 30 years in American Christianity, there's been tremendous debate around uh, lordship salvation and what exactly repentance is and what it's not and these types of things. And repentance really, if you remember from last week, is, is being sorry over our sin and changing behavior because of that. And conversion is a very similar type word, except it's a little bit different. So um, the shorter definition for conversion is man decides. So if you've got your hand out, man decides. Um, I had originally thought that this was in the God category, but I, after studying this and looking at it a lot more, this is really on the, uh, on the man side. So the longer definition is conversion is the moment man decides to stop following himself and to start following God. And that sounds a lot like repentance, right? Because we define repentance as man turns. Well, repentance is man turns and changes his behavior because of a sorrowfulness of sin. So it's a, um, I hate to use the phrase, it's an emotional response, but it is an emotional response. When we are repentant, there is an emotional uh, engagement that's attached there. Conversion, however, is more of the mental decision making. This is a fact that I need to adjust based on. It does not have the emotional component that repentance does. So, when you hear people talk about salvation is more than a mental assent of the truthfulness of the gospel, that is absolutely true. But we have to have a mental assent of the truthfulness of the gospel. That is also absolutely true. These things are critically important. You can't just be, oh, I'm sorry for my sin. God, okay, well, there's something that God did in, in, through Jesus Christ and through his death and the burial and the resurrection, and that's important. And this conversion uh, is moving toward that. So when we hear the word conversion today, we often put this in the category of changing one denomination to another or changing one religion to another. So you hear about somebody who has converted from... Uh, uh, it could be Christianity to Islam or Islam to Christianity or Catholicism or you can convert from Baptist to Methodist to Episcopalian to you know, whatever options are out there. So conversion in its modern definition is far more about um, deciding to adhere to a certain set of belief or principles associated with a church or some type of a religious organization. It's not as much about the change that takes place as a result of understanding the truthfulness of the gospel as it was taught in the New Testament. Does that make sense? Okay, so this word has morphed significantly over time. So let's look at the words. Uh, so the first one up, Psalms forty-seven sixty-two. it's a verb, means to turn. Um, the Greek word is distrepho, and the, the idea here is that this word literally just means to turn around. It literally just means to turn around. And the reason that we're looking at it is that it's the root word for the word conversion later on in the New Testament. So we just want to see where this is used. In Matthew eighteen three, 3, uh, Jesus says, assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted, turned, and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So conversion is more than mental. Mental ascent, uh, it gets a bad rap sometimes, but it's, it's ab- if that's all a sinner does, that's not enough. There has to be Sorrow over sin. So your next blank is both repentance and conversion are necessary for salvation. Um, One of the things that we tend to do in a presentation of the gospel, and I don't know that it's a bad thing because you don't want to overwhelm people, but in a basic presentation of the gospel, we typically keep it to just the facts. As simple as possible, right? Because we don't want... I, I would hate for somebody to not understand... The, the basics of repentance and faith because um, we missed up, uh, because we were trying to be too clear on this one little piece right here called propitiation, on how God's anger is assuaged through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Well, that's important. It's critically important that God's not angry at us. I mean, I think we'd all raise our hand and go, I'm glad God's not angry at me, right? I mean, this is really good. But, but when we present the gospel, we typically slim it down and are as, as simple as possible. So uh, both repentance and conversion are necessary. So the next verse that's on your handout there, Luke 22, 61, uh, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord as he had said to him before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. So literally this word is just, I'm looking at Albert right now. Now I'm going to turn and I'm going to look at Tim Archer. So that's, that's strepho is what it is. It's just a turning. Um, so we go down to the next word. I didn't have any other verses there for you, did I? That was the last one that's listed? Correct. Right? Okay. So the next word is Strong's 1994. It was a good year. Uh, it's a verb to be converted. Uh, the Greek was epistrepho, so you see the same root there. Uh, this has more of an idea of turning toward God. So this is, it's also used just to turn around, but it's used to, to turn to God as well. So it's an additional factor of uh, definition here. So the word, uh, the first verse here is Luke 1 verses 16 and 17 and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord so who are we talking about here in Luke chapter 1 who are we talking about here <clears throat> Jesus is actually not the answer here look at your pronouns how there, John the Baptist very good so let's read those verses again Luke 1, 16 and 17. And he, John the Baptist, will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. So what was John the Baptist's job? John the Baptist's job was to show up and to point, right? And go like, that's Jesus over there. It's not about me. That's Jesus. That's important. So he will turn. Well, the funny thing is, when I pointed, three or four of you looked over there. Because when we point at something, it's just natural. Well, what are we looking at? Um, One of the ways to keep a distraction in a Sunday school room when something's going on on one side of the room is for the teacher to actually move to the other side of the room so something isn't noticed on the opposite side of the room. And sometimes when people come in late, they appreciate that fact so they don't get singled out. Right, Chandley? Absolutely. (laughs) Um, So when you see me at random times for no apparent reason, moving to the opposite side of the room, many a time it's just to get your attention and to turn you this way so that something else can happen on another side of the room. So it's, the method. it's the epistrepho method, yes. I like that. That would be pretty good. Maybe that's my contribution to education right there, right? So from now You'll on, see. when you're moving, we can turn around and look see what's going on The other you. way, yes. <laughs> um, so so a, a good example of this, right, is that when, when uh, Brother Gary is preaching a sermon, right? Have any of you noticed that he is easily distracted when he's oh, preaching man. a sermon? <laughs> You've noticed this, too. That's amazing. So a baby cries and, squirt, we're, we're honed in on, on this baby. And when the speaker turns and looks at something, the audience, you know, I sit in the back with Daryl, and I watch 300 people go, huh? <laughs> right? So when John the Baptist shows up and he points and he says it's about Jesus, people turned and they looked. And they opened up their hearts just enough to listen to this message of repentance and faith. And it was a beautiful thing. So this is how this word epistrepho is used here. So Acts 3.19. So I realize I've been really kind of nitpicky about these definitions of these words for repentance and conversion. But it's important. And here's, here's the reason why. Acts 3.19. Repent, therefore. What's the next word? And. And be converted. So repentance is not the same thing as conversion. There is a difference. That your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So we have to be sorry for salvation to occur. We have to be sorry for this sin. There's got to be a drawing of the Holy Spirit of God, and there's got to be a conversion, a turning toward God in an intellectual way that we're making a decision here. So Acts fourteen fifteen, 15, uh, saying, uh, this is Paul and Barnabas talking here. It says, Men of Lystra, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you, and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all the things that are in them. Um, So this is my squirrel theological moment for the week, right? We have, uh, I read a lot of Bible verses to get ready for these lessons, right? I mean, it's kind of, hopefully you look at the page and go, that's a lot of verses in there. So there's a lot of references for you to go look up and whatnot. This one hit me by like a ton of bricks this week. Um, I read these words, and it was that we should turn from these useless things to the living God. Anything that we are focused on, that has our attention, that we are idolizing, that is not God, is useless. It, there's nothing that fills that gap. There's nothing that will, that will take the place of this thing. And, and we chase after them, and we chase after them, and we chase after them, and we chase after them. And the reality is that turning to anything but God is useless. Because if my focus is over here, but Jesus is over there, that's useless. I'm wasting my time. I'm just spinning my wheels and spinning my wheels and spinning my wheels. This conversion process, this mentally turning and looking and going toward Christ, this is incredibly important to us. And it's not just a, it's not just a, so conversion is a one-time thing, but it's not just a one-time thing because we can get distracted, right? We have these squirrel moments theologically in our lives where we're chasing something around and we go, no, no, we got to get back. We got to be converted. So the next verse up is Acts twenty six eighteen to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Who, who needs to be converted? It's easy theological question for you. Who needs to be converted, sinners or believers? Sinner, yes, so yes, absolutely. Uh, in the soteriological framework, sinners need to be converted, Right? We're going from darkness to light. And most people, if you ask them, are you a good person? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. The Bible describes it as darkness to light. And you go, darkness? That seems kind of strong. We get stronger in the same verse, right? From the power of Satan. Well, you go tell a pagan that they are under the power of Satan yeah, see how that one works out for you. So one of the reasons we like to boil the gospel down to its basic tenets, right? Because sometimes these messages are not very well received. The power of Satan, this is a significant, substantial move. Um, <clears throat> Acts 26:20, 20, but declared first to those in Damascus and Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles that they should repent comma. Turn to God, comma, and do works befitting of repentance. So this word repentance is not the same thing as this word for conversion and turning. It's a different concept. And then 2 Corinthians 3.16. This is one of the, this is like the, the, what do you get for conversion? So what's the big deal? Well, 2 Corinthians 3.16. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And 2 Corinthians 3 has this beautiful passage right in the center of, um, there's this beautiful passage right in the middle of 2 Corinthians 3. And Paul's talking about how under Moses there was the veil, right? You remember when, um, when they set the tabernacle up in the Old Testament, there was this veil, right? There's this veil between the Holy of Holies and the, the other part of the inside of the tabernacle. And you only went inside the Holy of Holies. There's only one dude gets to go inside the Holy of Holies. Sorry, ladies. Guys only. Um, and it was one day of the year on Yom Kippur, on the Day of Atonement, and he had went and offered sacrifice, and if he did it wrong, he died right there, and they pulled him out, and, you know, we try again. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Um, well, this veil, there's other veils in the Old Testament as well. Did anybody ever wear a veil in the Old Testament? Who wore a veil in the Old Testament? Moses, Moses wore a veil. When did you, you wear a veil? Everyone. Yeah. On the, on the presence of the mountain, right? So he goes, and he's with God, and his, he comes down, and his face is what? It's glowing. it's glowing. It's like nuclear power in the Old Testament. There it is. Boom. Um, hashtag TVA. All right. Um, so you got to tell him I did that, okay? All right. Um, so he comes down. His face is shining, and this is a bit of a distraction, right? I mean, so he puts this veil on his face to kind of cover up this glory, Because people couldn't stand being around it because there was a difference. There was not direct, there was not normal direct access to God. And what Paul's saying here in Corinthians, he says, Nevertheless, when one turns, when one is converted to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And we have this direct access, we have this ability. And get this, guys. Now, Moses is like this figure of the Old Testament, right? (laughs) We have access to God in our lives right now that Moses never had. That's kind of cool. That David never had. That Solomon never had. That Elijah and Elisha. never had that kind of access to God. And we have that. That veil has been taken away. And that's part of the benefit of conversion. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing with wonderful, wonderful benefits. So Strong's 1995, um, that's the last word. It, it only shows up once in Acts 15:3. 3. Uh, so then by being sent on their way by the church, I don't think I put this one in your notes, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria describing the conversion of the Gentiles and caused great joy to all the brethren. So when we experience conversion, joy is a natural result. When we share the stories of conversion, joy is a natural result. This is not just a, eh, okay, whatever. This is really significant stuff. So that's conversion. That's the first big word for the day. Uh, The second word is regeneration. So the shorter definition for regeneration is God rebirths. God rebirths. R-E-B-I-R-T-H-S. Rebirths. Longer definition, regeneration is the instantaneous work of God where a man is rebirthed into new life in Christ. And unlike physical birth, God doesn't need nine months just kind of cool, right? It's like repentance and faith, boom, rebirth. It's pretty awesome. Who's the creator of all life? God. You think he can do it again? He does every day. It's not a problem for him. Making things new is what he does. If you get a job description for God, created all things, makes all things new, loves Dot, dot, dot. It's just beautiful, right? This is what he does. This is in his sphere of, of, uh, of action. So the word regeneration, how many times does it show up in the New Testament? How many verses you got there? Two. Shows up twice. You go, it seems like that's a, a big deal, right? It seems like it would show up more. Well, what I'm not including here are all the times the phrase born again shows up. So this is just technically the word regeneration. If I included all the times the word born again showed up, we'd have a 60-page handout this week. It would be amazing. There's a lot of stuff in that space. So we'll talk about born again when we get to uh, adoption. It's kind of a, it's a closely linked concept with that as well. So Matthew nineteen twenty-eight. So when Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration... When the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Cool. So where's that at? In the regeneration. <coughs> new heaven, new earth, right? This is, this is a different place than now. This is not now. What does this word mean? It means new birth, reproduction, renewal, recreation. Don't get too attached to this planet. It's going to go away one day. People believe in the Big Bang. There'll be another Big Bang. This is going to be a fiery ball where it goes away. And I don't know how he's going to do this one, but there's a new heaven and a new earth. You got me on that one. I don't know how he pulls that one off, but it'll be spectacular because the only thing God ever does is spectacular things. rest of the definition, regeneration, the production of new life, the restoration of a thing to its pristine state, renewal or restoration of life after death, the production of new life. How many of you were there for the birth of your kids? Maybe you remember this? You, you, yes, you were there. Yes, thank you, darling. Yes. Um, this is what happens when I ask questions that I don't write out in my notes ahead of time. <laughs> That's the way that works. Um, so, guys. <laughs> How many of you were there for the birth of your kids? Yes, you saw this. Um, I remember, so, so I am a, uh, despite the fact that I'm a huge ball arts fan, I do not do well around uh, topics of medical procedures or blood or, I'm, I'm actually kind of getting queasy right now just thinking about it. Um, yeah, I know, it's like I'm breaking up the sweat now. Um, so we're at Women's East. We're in the room. She's pushing. They've given her an epidural. Things appear to be going well from what the nurses are saying. Yeah, I've never done this before. I have no idea. And uh, the nurse comes in, and she says, would you like to participate? Nope. Nope. said, if there's a way to keep, like, a veil between us and that, that would be wonderful. Let me know when, when you're ready to, like, clean. We're good to go. I'll participate at that point. <laughs> so I'm holding Julie's hand, and the nurse looks at me and says, uh, "Did you guys participate in any Lamaze classes?" I said, "No, we didn't." She said, "Okay, well, you probably want to count now." I said, "Okay, oh, count now. It's great." One, two, three. Looked at the nurse. How high am I going? I don't, I don't really. Is this like a repeat cycle, or how does this work? Or I was just utterly. I was completely useless. I mean, it was really spectacularly useless. So the doctor comes in. You know, everything's happening. And uh, the doctor says, hey, you you got to say, nope, nope, I'm good, I'm good, I'm back over here, I'm, I'm back over here. And you don't want to have two patients, you just need to have, or you need to have three patients, you just need to have two patients. So they get Anna Grace all cleaned up, and she's laying on like the, looks like a food warmer to me, I don't know. It's <laughs> a big light, and they're keeping her warm, it's like, order up, you know. So it's, it's what it looked like, right? So I walk over... And it was, it's one of those, wow, you know, you've, you've heard about this moment, you heard about this moment, and the way the room was situated, I'll never forget this, the way the room was situated was probably, it was a huge room. I remember walking in going, we can't afford this, you guys know this, right? <laughs> Julie was probably that far away, and, and I'm right here looking at Anna Grace, and the door to the room is kind of down a little hallway right here, and my dad was on this side of the hallway, and the door was kind of cracked, and he was standing where he could see me. Watching Anna Grace. And I didn't know he was over there. And I'm watching Anna Grace, and, and it just kind of hits you that this is new life. I mean, what What in the I mean, just, and I broke down. I mean, just physically, uh, this is amazing. It was the most stunningly beautiful thing I'd ever seen in my life. And uh, so my dad tells me a couple days later that he, he got to see that. He watched that. And that was pretty special for him to watch me just kind of totally break down. But, but the fact that new life is created, and we are utterly and completely amazed at that. And yet it happens every single day in God's space. And he looks at somebody and he goes, you've placed your faith in my son. And and you've turned toward me, and you've been sorrowful for your sin. Hashtag new life. Here you go. Boom. It's beautiful. It's just absolutely beautiful. And when we tell these stories, and when people get they're torn up about so and so that I've been praying for for so long, and they got saved. Well, yeah, because that's what he does. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And we just we cannot lose that awe over the wonderfulness of salvation. So. Open your Bibles to Titus chapter 3. This is actually a longer passage than than I've put in your notes. So, Titus chapter 3. Let's look at verses 4 through 7. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, Toward man appeared. So, who's this talking about? Jesus, right? When Jesus showed up, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, God's mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration. Through the washing of regeneration. Through the washing of new life. Through the washing of new birth. And the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So who pulls off this thing called regeneration? Is this my work? Who who did this? God does this. And it's only through Christ. Regeneration, being born again again never occurs, that concept never occurs in the New Testament apart from a direct reference to Jesus Christ. It is only and always, always about Jesus Christ, this regeneration. It is completely and totally connected. There's no other name whereby we can be birthed into the family of God. It is all about Jesus. It is always about Jesus, and it is only about Jesus. That is where rebirth, this regeneration takes place. So, what's the understanding? Well, sinners must both be sorry for their sin, that's last week's repentance, and decide to follow God, that's this week's conversion, in order for God to rebirth the sinner into a new life in Christ. How many of you have ever witnessed a baptism? Have you seen a baptism before? Yes? There are things that the person that's baptizing does, Right? Generally, you raise one hand. I still haven't figured out why. I think it looks good. Let's everybody know, look at me. Maybe we're about to start. I'm not sure, perhaps. We take the person and we say, what? Are there words that are said pretty much over and over and over again? What are the words? I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with what? So the burial is with Christ. Raised to walk in new life. It is not about doing the same old stuff. Because you are a new creature. This is new life. You have a new birth. Sometimes I wonder um, how much significance we really put on this, because my driver's license uh, actually says my date of birth on it. Right? Five sixteen seventy-six. And And that really wasn't the last time I was born. It really wasn't. That was the first time I was born. The last time I was born was the first Sunday in September in 1984. Because that's the Sunday where I was rebirthed, where I was regenerated, where I converted to God, put my faith in Him, repented of my sin, and was reborn. And I wonder sometimes if we shouldn't just take like a... We probably, if we ever got pulled over, the police officer wouldn't like that too much, but take a little magic marker, date of birth, that's really not the one that's important. That's really not the one that's important. Because I turn 30 next year. I'm 29, baby. That's right. <laughs> um, and that's the one that counts. That's the one that's going to dictate the eternal location of my soul, right? So what's your date of birth? Not your first one. What's your second one? You don't have a second one. That's not good. It's, It's the very bad, no good day. Very bad. We want a second birth. I want a second date for every single one of you. I want to be able to get to heaven and have a regroup of, hey, we're here. That's cool. High fives all around. I don't think we'll need to do Sunday school there. Maybe we'll hang out and just check, see how your mansion's doing. And, you know, how do you like the Street of Gold? I don't know. It's kind of cool. How do you like the Street of Gold? It's pretty neat, you know. It's kind of cool. All right. So let's go ahead and have our, uh, our table time of prayer. And then uh, please make sure you're looking at the, uh, the announcements on the top of that sheet as well, several things there that you need to know about the donations for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering coming up. So thank you, guys.